contemporary ways in which uh, uh, for that time, contemporary for Joel's time, contemporary ways in which the nations were hostile toward God and toward God's people. Okay? All right, does it make sense? All right, so all these nations described um, exemplary by Tyre, Sidon, and Philistia. Okay? They've done bad things to God's people. They're hostile against God, and they're hostile against God's people. Beginning in verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Now, he's saying the war is between God and these nations. That's a war that's already been bought, uh, been, uh, that they've already been fighting, but it's also a war that's already been won by God. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Verse 12, let the nations be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe, the harvest uh, is uh, the harvest there is judgment, not, not good stuff, judgment, okay? The harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Verse 14, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake. Let's stop there. Uh, can I just tell you, that's the ship called judgment. So, all of humanity, all of humanity is either in the ship that promises a secure uh, journey to a glorious destination. We call that ship refuge, rescue, deliverance, safety. The other ship is the ship of judgment, and that is the ship that promises smooth seas and fun shuffleboard, but the destination is destruction. And all of humanity is on one of these two ships. You're either in the ship that's going to a glorious destination, even though it be through choppy seas, or you're on the ship that's leading, headed for destruction. And you can play shuffleboard all the way there. Which ship are you on? Uh, get out of the metaphor a little bit. God promises one of two things. Either you're going to be judged by him and, and that judgment will lead to your destruction. Or you're going to be rescued by him. And his rescue will give you refuge and strength and blessing and security you've got one of those two choices if you're here today and you're not sure which ship you're on then the chances are you're not on the right ship my hope and prayer is that every person here today and within the sound of my voice will see the opportunity to switch ships from the ship of judgment to the ship of refuge, rescue, safety, and security. So let's look at it 
Uh, the first uh, 16 verses describe the ship of judgment. And you might say, hey, you know, and some of you all met, some of you knew here, you don't know me. This may be your first encounter with me, and I want you to know um, um, I'm, uh, there will be people who say, Eric, you usually preach such positive messages. Why are you preaching this message? It's so negative. And the answer is, thus says the Lord. That, that, that's the answer. So I, I've got to preach, thus says the Lord. When you preach consecutively through a book of the Bible, you've got to preach the judgment of God. Okay? That's one. Number two, we all need to hear this. We, we all need to hear this. Okay? So uh, if I'm going to summarize, I, I, I've got to summarize. I, don't, I can't take all the time I took in the first uh, service. I was told that, that we ran out of quarters on our online, uh, that, and it cut off. I, so I've got, got to summarize here. Verse 16 verses. Who are the nations that are judged? Well, they're the nations that are opposed to God and God's people. They're the nations that um, have stood in opposition to God. Now, uh, this side of the New Testament, on this side of the New Testament, we understand who these people are. It's not city-states anymore. It's not uh, geographical or geopolitical people. It's not Russia or China, it's not. Who is it? It is every person who stands in opposition to God, who's separated from God by their sin. It's every person, every person who here today or tomorrow or yesterday stands dead in their sin and trespass, who lives their life in hostility toward God and even toward God's people. So, uh, who is that? Well, that's everybody from the liberal to the progressive to the, uh, to the Democrat to the Republican to the conservative. This isn't talking about politics. This is talking about your relationship with God. And maybe some of us need to hear today, and I know it's hard to hear sometimes because we have so many other voices ringing in our ears, but the message of this passage is not, be thou conservative. The message from this passage is, be thou a child of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. And those things are not synonymous. There are conservative people that are going to hell, just, just as there are liberal people who are going to hell. The key of heaven or hell is not my politics. The key to heaven or hell is my relationship with God. And that relationship is only fixed in the right way when I acknowledge that my sin has separated me from God and I humble myself before God and I repent my sin and I trust Jesus who died for my sin upon a cross and was raised from the dead. And only until I experience that transaction of God's grace, until that happens, I am persistently under judgment. I am I am one of the multitude, multitude in the valley of decision. By the way, verse 14, multitude, multitude in the valley of decision. The multitude, multitude is um, a picture of the throngs upon throngs of countless people who are in this valley. They're called, the valley is called the valley of decision, but the decision is not the throngs of people that are in the valley. The decision is God's. God's deciding about these people. It's when Jesus talked in Matthew 7 about 
um, uh, in that day there are going to be people who are brought before the throne of God, and, and, and they'll say, well, God, in Matthew 7, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do good works in your name? Do all this in your name? And, and, and Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And, 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 and it's that, that judgment moment. It's God in the valley of decision doing the deciding. We've already decided at that point. The ship has already sailed, and there's no switching at that point. It's the end of time. It's the day of the Lord. God has come to judge the living and the dead. And that judgment is for all of humanity, and it depends on whether or not you're in the ship of judgment or you're the ship of God's grace and refuge and rescue. Which ship are you in? Joel is preaching to people, and he's saying, hey, listen, the house is burning down. You need to get out now. And God says to you today, the house is burning down. You need to get out and be rescued. The judgment if you, if you want to use some New Testament phrases, because, again, we get all bound up in the Old Testament symbolism and metaphor, but if you want to just look at some New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about, just like Joel was talking about the nations of Tyre and Sidon and all the things they did, selling boys for, for a, a prostitution and, and, and girls for booze, and, you know, that kind of stuff. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul gives us a description of people who do not inherit the kingdom of God. They're on the ship of judgment. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. In other words, this isn't where the list ends. This is just an example. All right? So, so listen, okay? So, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're on the ship of judgment, not the ship of refuge and rescue. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now he begins the list. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, uh, nor thieves, nor greedy people, nor drunkards, nor the verbally abusive nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Can, can I stop right there? What we do in Southern Baptist life is we like to pick a couple of these and say those people will never inherit the kingdom of God. And what we ignore are the ones that hit closer to our heart. We love to shout out and shout down one part, which is true. This list is true. It's absolute truth. Everybody who is practicing these things, everyone who is uh, living those lifestyles, that, that is a demonstration that you're separated from God. Okay? All right? But it's not just one of them or two of them. The verbally abusive and those practicing homosexuality are put in the same list. You hear that? I'm, I mean, I know, ooh, I know, we like to pick on the ones that don't affect us. 
or the ones that offend us greatly. But maybe, just maybe, we need to hear about the whole list. Okay? So when we're looking at this, don't cherry pick one and ignore the others that might hit closer to home. But let's see the message from the entirety of it. All right? So uh, not sexually immoral, not idolaters, not adulterers, not those who practice homosexuality, not uh, thieves, not greedy people. Greedy people in the same list. Greedy people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make you a little bit nervous? It should. Makes you, which ship am I on? But then, and such were some of you. So what was the remedy for that behavior? What's the remedy? But you were washed. <laughs> you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So what's the solution to the separation that my sin has created? Regardless the name of the sin, what's the solution? The solution is that I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for me. I have been sanctified, set apart, brought into God's family, out of darkness, into uh, his light. I have been justified. I, ha I who have nothing in me that's worthy of God's acceptance have been accepted be by God because Jesus has given me his righteousness. Here's good news. What transfers me or you or any of us from the ship of judgment to the ship of rescue or refuge is not what we do. It's what God has done for us in Christ. Okay? So just look at the second part of verse 16 and verse 17. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem uh, shall be holy, and there will be no foreigners that shall ever pass through. The idea of foreigners there is not uh, immigration. The idea of foreigners there are those who are separated from God by their sin. Uh, they're, they're not going to be part of the family. Okay? So as we look at this passage, again, there are two ships. And everybody in this room, everybody listening or watching, you are on one of the two ships. Either you're on the ship where you have been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Your sin has been covered because you've been washed in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died in your place for your sin. If you have repented your sin, trusted in Jesus, you've been rescued. You've been brought into God's family. So you're on the ship that promises a glorious destination, the very presence of God, verse 17. For all eternity. So the day of the Lord for you is a day of promise and delight. Okay? Some of you, perhaps most of you, are on that ship. But there's another ship. And it's the ship of judgment. And it doesn't matter your moral compass, it doesn't matter how clean you have cleaned up, it doesn't matter your politics, it doesn't matter your gender or your identity, 
It doesn't matter any of those things. If you are separated from God by your sin, then you're on the ship that leads to judgment. And you might have fun along the way, but devastation and destruction is waiting you for all eternity. So, only two options. And atheists may uh, deny, agnostics may decry it, uh, false ideologies or false gods may defy him, but the reality is God will judge everyone. God's going to judge you, and he's going to judge me. He's going to judge your family. He's going to judge your friends. He's going to judge people we work with and we play with. And the question is, which ship are they on? Which ship are you on? close today I just want to give you two simple gospel lessons to learn from this passage it's a hard passage and and I I don't I don't delight in saying God's going to judge I don't delight in that but I don't I don't hesitate to say that we need to understand that God is judge he loves you and he's made a way for you to be forgiven your sin just he made a way for me to be forgiven my sin God loves you but he is holy and he is just, and he is going to punish sin, and he's going to punish sinners. And that's what the Bible says. That's not what Eric says. So I don't, I don't shy away from saying that. I just want us to understand. Okay? So what are the two lessons? The first lesson is God will ultimately vindicate his people. Uh, I, and, and again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to characterize... Um, in a negative way, uh, the frustrations that we may feel as followers of Jesus, faithful followers of Jesus in uh, today's culture. Uh, you may feel great frustration. You may feel very limited frustration. But I can tell you this, um, that when Eric Thomas, follower of Jesus, stands upon the absolute truth of God's word and makes statements such as homosexuality is a sin, which in Scripture is incontrovertible. But I make a statement like that. There are people online and maybe even in this room who will say, you are closed-minded and bigoted. And I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'm not saying something because I feel it. I'm saying something because the Bible says it's sin. So when I go after being greedy with just as much vim and vigor as I go against anyone practicing homosexuality. Please understand, I'm not scared of an agenda, but there are more greedy people in this room than there are those who are practicing homosexuality, and my job is to pastor you, not some other people. Oh, I know, I know, that wasn't that kind, was it? That's a little bit me. Well, you need to hear what the truth of the gospel says. And that, that is that, that when we stand on the absolute truth of God's word, we're going to get hit. We are. We're going to get hit. Now, when, when we are faithful to the absolute truth of God's word, it's going to mean that, that we're going to pay a price. Now, we're not paying the same price that Christians in the first century paid. And I always feel like I need to say this because um, 
Uh, it's my C.S. Lewis uh, reading. You know, I don't know if you've ever read Screw Tape, Screw Tape Letters, uh, but you ought to. Uh, but one of the things that Screw Tape, he's a, an elder demon, uh, and he's coaching a, a, a novice demon named Wormwood. And it's all myth, but, uh, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way. But one of the things that Screw Tape says is the best thing we can do for church people is to keep them distracted by their fears. And, and, and he goes on, he says that there's a, um, a, no hurt. He doesn't say it this way. I could quote it, but I'm not going to look at it. Uh, there's no hurt like uh, an, uh, some personal injury that we've experienced, some insult that we've taken. That's the kind of hurt uh, Screwtape said Wormwood needs to make sure Christians experience. Because if you feel like you've been insulted that's like the worst kind of hurt. And I see that. I see that in our church. I see it in your life. I feel it in my own life. So when, when I look at the culture today, I, I, I do sense, I mean, I'm a 55-year-old white male, Southern Baptist, evangelical preacher. I'm kind of a poster child, <laughs> Right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm the guy that, oh, you're the one. Oh, I, you know, I hesitate to tell people I'm a preacher. I, I, I've already got some strikes against me, right? I, and, and I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying that's the culture in which we live, and I'm okay with that. Honestly, I'm okay with that. That's fine. It gives me a platform. I'm not bitter about it. I'm okay with it. Let's talk. Let's, find, let's talk about this. But uh, one of the things that I understand is that for many of us, we sit here and we say, oh, it's so bad, it's so bad. First century Christians, if you stood on the absolute truth of God's word and stood up for the gospel in first century, depending on where you were in that first century, chances were you were going to be killed, at least persecuted, maybe sold into slavery. Uh, you might end up in the Colosseum as a special dessert for a lion, a tiger, or a bear. Uh, during the time that Peter was writing his letters. Peter uh, wrote a letter to uh, church, and, and, and during that time, he said, he said, listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance undefi- uh, incorruptible and undefiled does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. He said, blessed, that's the way he begins, but he was writing to people that were being burned alive on a white hot iron chair because they were followers of Jesus. That's where, that's the setting. So when we're looking at, at our lives as followers of Christ, we can get down, in the, down and, and discouraged because uh, culture seems against us. And it is. It is. But even if it is, we need to understand that this passage promises that God will vindicate us. God will vindicate through his judgment. Of, it's, it's an ultimate judgment, and it's mysterious. Don't know how it's going to happen, but there will be a day in the valley of decision where God will vindicate his people for all time. So take heart. You will be vindicated. Can I tell you what doesn't vindicate you? You getting all mad and mean. That does not vindicate you. It may be a natural response that we feel, but that's not what vindicates us. In fact, again, going back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, just, just listen. 
First Peter, and again, he's writing to people that are being burned alive on a white-hot chair because they're followers of Jesus and won't recant the absolute truth of God's Word, okay? So here's what he says. He says, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be troubled. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, so that when they defame you or call you evildoers, they're going to be put to shame because they revile your good conduct in Christ. Then he adds this. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know what Peter's saying? He's saying, you make sure that in this day and time, if you feel put upon and persecuted, insulted because you're following, they're calling you bad names, they call you a bigot. If all that's happening, your response is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and not to dishonor him with a bad attitude and a whiny spirit. But rather, you are to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Can, can I humbly suggest that maybe the best response is the second piece? And that is, got to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. And this passage teaches us one thing, that their friends that are headed for devastation. I have co-workers. I don't. You do. Because I work at the church and everybody's got to be a believer to work at the church. You do. You have co-workers that are far from God and they're on the ship headed to judgment. Now you've got, you've got family, you've got friends, people you play with people that, that you go on vacation with, and they are on the ship headed to judgment. And what are you supposed to do? You've got to tell them. Even if it offends them, you've got to tell them. Even if they don't like it, you've got to tell them. Even if they make fun of you, you've got to tell them. That there is only one hope in time and eternity, and that is that you receive grace and mercy from our Lord God Almighty who's ready and willing to forgive through faith in Jesus Christ. we got to tell them. In days and times like this, in a culture that we say is going so crazy, this is the test where we believe or don't believe what Romans 1 tells us. Romans 1 for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you believe that? If you believe it, then you've got to share the gospel. We must tell others how that they can be rescued. We need as many people to switch ships as possible. That is our duty. That's our calling. So today as we end, I just want to ask you, which ship are you on? Which ship? There's a ship 
called refuge, rescue, salvation, grace. It's the ship that we enter, not because we're good or religious or moral. We enter that ship because God in His grace has saved us. Through the death of Christ on a cross for our sin, He saved us and given us a new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we turn from our sin, we trust in Jesus, and everything changes for us. And we board the ship of God's grace. And it'll be rough seas. There will be suffering as followers of Jesus. But the promise is secure. We will make our destination the glorious presence of God. Is that the ship you're on? Or are you on the ship of judgment? Maybe you're counting on being a good church person or a moral person or a conservative person or a progressive person or any of those uh, descriptors. You're looking at all those things. You're saying, that's what's going to secure my destiny. And you're right. It's just not the destiny you think it will secure. All the pleasure in the world will never secure you of destiny of God's presence for eternity. All the intellect that you can muster, all the degrees that you can uh, earn, they will not get you to the destination that leads to delight for eternity. Rather, you're playing shuffleboard all the while the Titanic is sinking. And you're going to be lost utterly and completely. So today... My question for you, what ship are you on? Not what religion do you pursue, not how moral you are, not how smart you are. What ship are you on? Are you separated from God by your sin? And if you are, there's only one way to be forgiven. By placing your faith in Jesus and entering into a relationship with God through faith in him. So today, if you're on the ship called judgment, I invite you to switch ships. I invite you to come to Christ. Humble yourself before him. See that he died for your sin upon a cross and he was raised to give you a new life. Call upon Jesus. Choose him today and be rescued. Would you bow your heads with me, please? This morning as we gathered here, perhaps... Whether you're online or in the room, you're longing to become a follower of Jesus. You're, you're not, and you need to be. You're on the ship called judgment, and you know that you need to be rescued. You need to switch ships. So if that's who you are, then today I invite you to call upon Jesus. Now, simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and my sin has separated me from you. I believe you sent Jesus to die on my on my behalf, on a cross, to pay for my sin. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead to give me a new life. So today, oh God, I beg you, please save me through faith in Christ. Cover me with grace today. God, I pray that you would bring me into your family. I give you my life today. If that's a prayer that you have prayed or are ready to pray, in a few moments when we stand to sing, there will be ministers here at the front. You come and you share with them today. 
I accept Christ as my Savior. And maybe you're online or maybe coming up front's a little bit too uh, nerve-wracking for you. Uh, you can text Jesus to the number on the screen or you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org and just tell us, you need to switch ships. You're, you, you need to come to faith in Christ. In these next few moments, oh God, I pray that you would draw to yourself everyone that you're calling, that you would rescue those who are perishing, and that you would encourage those who belong to you. Now have your way with us in these next few moments as we sing our praise to you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.